You're listening to a podcast from River City Church of Jacksonville, Florida. For more audio and video podcasts, visit rccjacks.com. I was thinking about that recently. Of all the, there's lots of things as a parent that you, and now that my kids aren't in the service, I can, I can be a little more open about like what really happens in the Fowler home because the high schoolers and middle schoolers have left. But I was thinking of, uh, of things there are lots of things that we do that we don't want our kids to pick up on, you know, and we pray that, Lord, please don't let this pass on. Please don't let this pass down. And we're not intentional about them. There are a few things that I'm very intentional about that I don't want to pass down to my children. One is I just started riding a motorcycle around just for the thrill of it. I thought, man, this, this is just fun. It's dangerous. I don't have a license. I could get pulled over. I found out that I could be put in jail, but I'm doing it anyway because it's just fun. And if this is as bad as midlife crisis gets for me, that's okay. That's okay. I can deal with that. But I don't want that to go on to my kids. And so I'm praying that it won't, but I'm not, I'm not apologizing for doing it. I'm just doing it. I don't, I'm just like, I'm doing it. The other thing is the tattoo. I got a tattoo when I was like 45, right? So the other thing you're kind of wondering about, like you, your kids, when they're just recently, my fifth year was like, oh, yeah, I have the tattoo. I'm going to like, no, 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 no. I love the tattoo I have. I don't regret the tattoo I have, but I don't want my kids to have the tattoo either. Because it's like they're going to get the Mike Tyson one on the side of their face or something. You still, you know, impulsive 15, 16, 17, 18-year-olds. So anyway, I didn't plan on saying any of that. Um, but you're welcome. You are welcome. Uh, and you can be praying for me. I, I've tried to get my motorcycle license, and they canceled all the classes. And so until it's their fault that I don't have one. It's their fault, and that's what I'm going to tell the police officer if I get pulled over. Um, but I am going to take the course. I am very care- People tell me. It's funny. The people, I'm going to keep going on this. People tell me things like, dude, don't you know that's dangerous? And my response is always, I know. It's incredibly dangerous. And they're like, I know. If you hit a car, it's like, I, don't worry. I watch out for cars very carefully. They're like, but what about the cars that are going to hit you? And I'm like, I'm, not, I'm, I'm really trying hard not to let them hit me. I promise you. It's not going to happen if it's up to me. But um, yeah, so there, there you go. There's a little bit more. But anyway, when we were praying uh, today or when we were worshiping today, there was a restlessness I felt in my heart. And I want to pray for us because I feel like there are two groups of people that God wants to minister today, to today. There are two things that he wants us to experience. And there'll be other things too, hopefully, from this talk. Um, I want to speak about travail today, the prayer of travail. And even saying that, some of you don't know what that means. And um, I'm going to speak into why we don't know what the prayer of travail is. Um, but there are two groups of people that I, want to, that I, I really feel like God wants to move in. And minister to one group are people that are lost, people who have come today with a friend, um, or maybe you've come uh, because you felt like you're supposed to, and maybe you've thought your whole life that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that you that you that you're a Christian, and and uh, and I think that today in the talk, the the Holy Spirit's going to move, and you're going to realize that you're not, and you're going to come into faith, that you're going to come to Christ for the first time, you're going to come into a new relationship with him. That's one group. The other group of people I feel like God is going to convict or speak to are people like me, who, uh, and most of us probably, who know Jesus, and um, we love Jesus, and we want more of Jesus, but we are self-focused in our faith. We are consumed with the Father's love for us to the point that we have lost being consumed with 
the Father's love for other people. And that's not a bad thing, except... It, well, it is a bad thing. It is a bad thing. You know, we, uh, we're singing that song, love never, lever, you know, your love never runs out on me. Let, you know, thank you, Jesus, that your love never runs out on me. Do you know why the love of God never runs out on you? It's not because there's more of it for you. It's because he wants you to pour it out on other people. It's because the love of God, when we experience the love of God, it's for the purpose of it being poured out on other people. The revival that we long for, that we long for, that most of us, if we're honest, we're saying, I want to be revived. But God's revivals always find their destination in the lost. Their destination in people who are broken, people who aren't even in this building right now. And so I pray, and I'm going to pray right now, that there would be a restlessness in our heart for some of you that would grow to the point where you're going to give your life to Christ today. And for others of you, that your restlessness will grow where you will be burdened to bring people into knowing Jesus Christ that aren't here today. And um, so we're going to pray for that to happen. And only God can do that. I mean, this talk, it doesn't matter how good or bad it is. If the Spirit of God doesn't move, it's just going to be flat, right? I and mean, this, is, this is, God has to do this to us and with us. So let me pray. Let's all pray. Father, we pray that you would come and move right now. That your Holy Spirit would come, and for those of us that, that, that know you marginally, or that have left you, or that have run from you, that we would be drawn back to you. For those of us in the room that don't know you at all, that we would come to know your saving grace and your love for us this morning. And Father, um, for those of us who have known you for a long time, but have not been burdened for the things that burden you, the lost, Jesus, we thank you that you remind us that you have come to seek and to save the lost, that you are the great physician who has come not for the, the well, but for the, for the sick, that we would be burdened again as a church for the lost in Jacksonville, for the lost in our families, for the lost in our workplaces, that you would create in both of us, in both of these groups of people, as I speak today, a growing restlessness, a growing uneasiness, a growing anxiety that we would only find satisfied when we come to you. Just come, Holy Spirit. We pray that's what you would do today in this service, during this talk. Amen. Okay. So I've been reading through 2 Corinthians in my devotional, and I've been studying and reading books on different kinds of prayer, because we've been talking about prayer, right? And I ran across this prayer that I'd never really known about or heard of. It's called the Prayer of Travail. And the prayer of travail has as its heart, as its source, um, this uh, understanding of a prayer that births new ministry, that births new life, that brings new life. And people who know about travail, a lot of people, whenever they teach about travail, they talk about there being, you know, lots of weeping and moaning and crying out to the Lord and like flailing on the ground and doing the worm and stuff whenever you're praying and just craziness, right? And, and that accompanies travail, and that can accompany travail, but it doesn't always accompany travail, okay? Travail, at the heart of the prayer of travail, I'm going to speak more fully on it next week, the heart of the tra- prayer of travail is the desire God has to bring new life through us. Not because of us, 
but he burdens us with the things that burden him. And as, as he burdens us with the spirit, we begin to get uneasy and we begin to pray with the father's heart for the lost or for a specific person or for a, 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 maybe a, um, a part of our city or whatever. And, and, it's, and he, he usually does this. He starts very slowly and he does it one person at a time. And at the heart of every revival is travail. Are a few people who God spoke to, and they, if you study revivals, this is true in every single case. The, the heart of the revival are a few people who began to pray. And they continue to pray, and through their faithfulness, they came. Okay? And I'm going to speak on travail, the specifics of it next week. And uh, it's not just people coming into faith, but it's also new ministries, birthing new ministries. And I'm going to speak very, very, like in a big way on it next week. But I've been studying it and learning about it. As I mentioned it to people, no one's heard about it. A lot of people haven't heard about it. And I thought, well, should I really be preaching on this? And I ran across this in 2 Corinthians in my devotion this week. And I felt like the Lord said, this is what I want you to speak on. That even before we can understand the prayer of travail, we have to understand God's purpose for us. We have to understand that uh, the reason that travail exists is because our Father has a heart for the lost. A father has a heart, and he loves us, but ultimately, he desires for us to love the world and to reconcile the world to him. And, this, and you'll, I'm going to read this, and this will, this will make more sense. This is 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to, 6, uh, to verse 6 and 2. This is one of my favorite verses. I say it all the time. I pray it over people all the time. The first verse, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the... That was in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting To us, the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him, then, we appeal to you, not to receive the grace of God in vain for yourself. For he says, in a, favorable, in a favorable time, I listen to you, and in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Is that all? I'm not sure. Okay. There's a whole other section that I had that I cut out that speaks more into this where Paul goes on to speak about all the trials that he had gone through for them. And they were angry at him. They didn't like him. And they were kind of ticked off at him. And he moved towards them as an act of love, communicating this so that they would realize and see that for the lost, for the people in Corinth, for the people to know Jesus, they would need to move towards them as well. Paul stresses the fact of this reality that we are ambassadors for Christ and we speak on his behalf. 
Paul writes that through him, we are his fellow workers. God is making his plea to the lost through us. And you've heard me say this before, that we are God's plan A. You are God's plan A. It's not like God had a better plan, and he's like, oh, man, I guess I'm going to have to settle with Diane or Sarah. Good grief. Plan B, here we go. No, you're plan A. You are God's plan to reach the world, to reconcile the world to himself. In verse 20, he says it. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. When you're reconciled to God, and then for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him is what Paul's talking about. We don't work for him out of obligation. And we can't do this without him in our own power. But with him, filled with his power, so that it is not based on anything that we will get glory for or anything that we can pride ourselves in, but the desire that God the Father has in us is to reach the world, to reconcile the world through us to himself. Your love never fails, never runs out, never gives up on me. You know why? Because it's not meant to stop with you. Like I said earlier, the love of God was meant to fill you up so that you would have streams of living water flowing out of you. Where? Not back into you. That's crazy. That's like, that's what we think, though. That's how we act. Like, I want more, Lord, more, Lord. Streams of living water flowing out of me, back into me, flowing out of me, back into me. No, flowing out of you to the lost world, flowing out of you to the people who need it. <laughs> but we, th- th- I mean, God's, I mean, it's a powerful demonstration of how, how does God's kingdom, how do we build God's kingdom with God, God working in us, God working through us. In 1 Corinthians 3, 9, it says, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. He's building his kingdom on you, the foundation with his son, Jesus Christ. In 1 Thessalonians 3, 2, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker. Our brother and God's co-worker. That's what you are, God's co-worker. And then in Mark, Jesus says, and they went out, this is the very beginning, at the the very end of the Gospel of Mark, Mark says, and they went out and they preached everywhere. While the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. So signs and wonders, being filled with the Spirit, all has a purpose, and the purpose is be, goes beyond you. It goes beyond you being filled up. It goes beyond you being, you know, being able to worship God. It goes beyond your healing. It goes beyond your happiness, your joy. It goes beyond that into the world. That's why the power of God has been given to the saints of God and the children of God to transform the world. We are co-laborers with God. We are God's fellow worker. You're called to work with the Lord as his ambassadors, representative here on earth. We are his mini-me's. In the Old Testament, there's amazing imagery. I know mini-me's. That's, that's probably an old movie. I can't use that anymore. One million. Oh, anyway. But in the Old Testament, they would build statues of the, of the, of, of, of the rulers that would conquer their nation. And, it would, and, and the reason they would place these statues there is so that the people of that nation would be reminded of who rules over them. And so, like, if a big country, like, crush-dominated a little country, 
They would build a, like a statue there in that country and people would pay homage and worship it to remind them of the country that conquered them because they didn't have the personnel to cover it, you know, and to rule over them. So they, that's how they would rule over them. And we are, like, we are like those statues. We have been placed on this earth as a representative of the one who rules over of the kingdom that's being built. We are the visible expression of the invisible God who rules and reigns on earth. We are the ones who bring that to bear. We are his ambassadors. That's what Paul's talking about here. We are his co-laborers. God is working through us. God didn't have to do it this way, but he chose to do it this way. The ministry of reconciliation. And what Paul's saying is like, look, because you've been reconciled to God. See, reconciliation takes place. It says, because we've been reconciled to God, we should go do this for other people. This is what's amazing. Reconciliation takes place when two parties are estranged from each other. They're broken off, right? And they're brought back together in a harmonious relationship through the efforts of a mediator. Okay? And what Paul's saying is, our relationship with God has been broken, not because God the Father has done anything wrong, but because of our sin and our brokenness. Okay? And we need a mediator. We need someone who's going to come mediate the relationship so there can be harmony again. And Paul's saying, because Christ came and mediated for us, even though we are the ones who did what was wrong. It should have been us that went back, but we didn't. So while we were still estranged from God, while we were still angry with God, while we still hated God, when we were still evil, Paul's saying Christ came and reconciled you, brought harmony to the relationship so that we could find life in Christ, in, you know, with the Father. It's may, I mean, Romans 5 says this, for while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. It's amazing to wrap your head around. It's amazing to think if someone that you knew that wronged you, that hated you, that hurt you, that broke the relationship that you were that you were in, it's hard to believe. Someone that, I mean, it's hard to even picture. I mean, it's hard for us to get imagery around and, and for me to create imagery. Imagine you have a son or a daughter who was brutally beaten or raped. That's the best I can do. Imagine your son or your daughter who was brutally beaten or raped. That's pretty estranged. It's pretty jacked up, broken relationship, right? And then you moving towards them to forgive them, to reconcile and heal the relationship. That's what's happened with us and God, is that we, his enemies, turned away from him, mocked the work of the cross, despising it, wanting to do our own thing and continue wanting to do our own thing every day. We turn away, and God in his love and in his compassion for us through his son Jesus Christ, has moved towards us to reconcile himself to us so that we would know his love. And as we experience his love, then our response is to bring people into that. We have four pillars in our church. The first two are like inward pillars. If I said, how many, how many people know the four pillars of our church? I wonder how many people would say, I know what the four pillars of our church are. Zach, we're, no. 
four pillars. The first two, intimacy with the Father, that everything flows out of intimacy with the Father. The second one is ministering the power of the Spirit, that when we experience intimacy with the Father, uh, that we are then filled with a power that comes from the Spirit and, the, and that we move into the, you know, and that we're healed from that, we're transformed from that, we're made whole from that, we're able to worship in that. But those are two pillars that, that really are about us and our relationship with God. And they're focused on bringing us into a right relationship with God. And that God has done all the necessary things for that to happen. But the second two pillars, evangelism and ministry to the poor, are two outward pillars. And these pillars are focused on once we're filled up, once we're filled with God's love, what are we going to do with it? Are we just going to fill ourselves back up? Are we going to try to build the numbers of the people that are in here? Are we going to have more you know, bigger and more powerful worship for the sake of having bigger and more powerful worship? Or is there a purpose that goes beyond ourself into the world? The purpose of God's reconciling us to himself is so that we will reconcile the world to him. The prayer of travail has at its heart these two pillars. It is the prayer of the person who desires to see God bring new life to people who are dead. It is a birthing prayer for new ministry that leads to new life. In Scripture, it is associated with God moving and people coming from death to life, from being captives, from being cap, who are captives to being set free. And travail begins deep in the heart with the desire for people who aren't in the kingdom of God to become a part of the kingdom of God, becomes a part of people's prayer lives as the Spirit leads them to be burdened with the things that burden the Father's heart so that the people of God will be reconciled to God. It's the heart of God we see in the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost son. We see this desire that the Father has to reconcile the sheep that is lost. He leaves the 99 and goes and finds the one. The lost coin, he, he goes and he turns the room upside down to find the lost coin. And the son that comes home, that they celebrate. This is the picture. This is the heart of our father. This is why we've been saved to him. That we would be people that would be, that would be saving other people. But why haven't we heard more about this prayer? And, or, 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 I mean, for that matter, why don't we pray more? Maybe you do. I don't. Pray more for the lost. I mean, there was a prayer, a book came out, Prayer of Jabez, like a few, like, a while ago, right? Like, if I asked a show of hands, like, how many of you heard about the Prayer of Jabez? Almost every single one of you people are like, I know about the Prayer of Jabez. Ex- extending my tent pegs, baby. Expanding my tent. Getting more money for me. More of God's kingdom for me. More of God's blessing for me. When that book took off, I knew there's something wrong because everyone in the world loved it. Everyone loved it. I was like, this has got to be jacked up. There's no way people in the world are this excited about the kingdom of God. And sure enough, you read it, it was taken extremely out of context. But there was like this prosperity reality about this prayer, about how this is the focus, this is the purpose of God, is to extend our tent pegs, you know, our capacity. And there's some truth to that. Those are really good things. But it's for the purpose, why do we extend our tent pegs? Because then we will capture more people into the kingdom. We bring people, our shadow goes in, goes further out into the world. We expand God's kingdom into the world. And who comes under the tent? More lost people. 
So when God gives us more, it's so that we will give more away. When God pours out his spirit, it's so that we will then pour out more of his spirit. You know, River City Church, we are great with the first two pillars, and we are struggling with the second two pillars for the same reason that the world loved the prayer of Jabez and struggles with the prayer of travail. As the prayer of Jabez is self-focused. It's about me and Jesus. And the prayer of travail is about other people. It's, it's a sacrificial prayer. It's a prayer that you get nothing in return. It's a prayer that you pray for others and the hope that God is going to move and bring them into the kingdom of God and it will cause you to sacrifice. And, and, and they equate it to, to childbearing, the pangs of childbearing, the pain of childbearing, the suffering of childbearing. Who's going to sign up for that? I'm not going to sign up for that. It's why, but what happens is God burdens us with that and it begins to happen and, and, and it happens because of our love for the Father. Our Father sees the love we have for him and he begins to burden us with his love for the world. And he pours that out on us and we begin, as in childbirth, to carry something that God wants to do. In the same way that God moved towards us when we were still evil and we were still angry, and opposed to him, he calls us to move towards the lost in the world so that they will be reconciled to him. You know Jesus Christ because someone told you about him. Unless, I mean, there's times where people like, there's a crazy stories about like, I was dreaming, and there was Pinocchio, and then there was Jesus. And then I came and saw Jesus the next day, and I went to church, and I was saved. I mean, there are those stories, and that happens. But most of us came to Jesus because someone was burdened, and they told us about him. The prayer of travail is the prayer of revival. And oh boy, do we want revival in this church, don't we? We want revival in this church because, man, it would be great to experience another move of God. It would be great for us to experience another outpouring of the Spirit. Because we just need to be filled again and again and again and again. And those are good things. So why doesn't it happen? Why hasn't it happened? Because it's a prayer of travail. It's not on our hearts. We want revival for ourselves. We want revival for what it will do for us. Not for what it will do for our coworkers. Not for what it will do for our city. Not, we don't want to persevere. We don't want to cry out. We don't want the labor pains. We want the baby. But we don't want to do what God calls us to do to carry what's necessary. We don't want to persevere. We struggle with that. But that's what the prayer of travail has at its heart. The persevering person who cries out to God... Not for their benefit, but for the benefit of the lost and the broken and the world around them that is desperate to experience God. I think that there are times in our, that God's given us this desire for revival and for more of his spirit and for more of his power and more of his love. And that it won't be fully realized until we actually pour out what we've been given. And so... Does that make sense? So God's desire, I mean, he's given us this desire for more of him, right? To pour out more, you know, to fill us with more and more of his spirit. And he's just waiting for us to extend ourselves beyond ourselves to the lost, to the brokenhearted, so that we can then experience that blessing that he has for us. We ask God, where is your power? Why don't I hear from you? And we wonder why it's not come. But if I wonder if God wonders too, 
Why would they think I would give them more power, pour out more of my love, if they haven't begun to tell people to pour out the love I've already given them? Why would I entrust you with more power and more love and more blessing if the power, the love, and the blessing that I've shown you in my son Jesus Christ, you won't even talk to your neighbor about? You won't even talk to your coworker about? You won't even share it with the people that are down the street? Why would God trust us with more if with what he's entrusted us with, the reconciliation of his son Jesus Christ, we aren't sharing with anyone? This week, um, I got asked to preach at this church, and uh, and I'm not. I just want to. Ref- I'm going to make sure you guys don't feel like I'm not trying to guilt you. I'm I'm at the center of this as well. I'm the I'm the leader of the church, right? And so the question of why aren't we better at the second two pillars? Why aren't we doing more evangelism? Why aren't we doing more ministry to the poor? That's on me. I mean, I will talk to Jesus about that one day. So in no way do I hope you feel like I'm saying you need to do better. What I'm saying is let's start praying that God would burn our hearts for the lost. Right? And that's on me as much as it's on any of us. But this week I am, and so if you're feeling guilty or shameful, that's not my goal. As I'm, this is, we're in this together. We're a family. But we want God to move more powerfully in us. And I'm telling you, this is one of the reasons I feel like he's not. Okay, so I'm asked to preach at this church this week. And, and somehow, in the, in the communication between uh, them and us, I thought I was going to preach at a pastor's conference. And I was actually going to preach at an 18-year anniversary for a church, a little church, in urban uh, Jacksonville, right? And I show up, and I'm just dressed up in my suit because that's what you do. And, um, and, and, and I'm there. And uh, I get there at 6.30, and we're in the, in the parlor. And there's like a parlor where like the bishop and, is, you know, waits. And you wait, and so I was waiting with the bishop. He was telling me the story of the church. He was telling me about his story. It was amazing. And, and the first lady, his wife would come in and say, there's still nobody here. And I'm like, what the? I, I mean, I started getting nervous at that point. I'm like, well, I'm, I'm preaching at a pastor's conference. No, no pastors are coming? What's going on here? Like, well, you know, and I have this sermon that I've written for pastors and leaders. And uh, she kept coming in, and, I, and I'm wondering about where the pastors are. And, uh, and then he would get up, and he would, look, he would look through this little hole in the window, and he'd be looking around. And, and I'm thinking, there, there are people here. There's like 10 or 15 people here. There weren't a lot of people here. But he was looking around, and he's like, nobody's here yet. Nobody's here yet. And he was looking through this hole, looking to see where. And then finally he goes, oh. He goes, Pastor, we're going to get started no matter what, as soon as one person comes. And I'm thinking, I got this sermon written for a bunch of pastors for a pastor's conference, and I'm not sure what I'm going to do, right? And I'm already like cross-cultural preaching with amen in it, and I'm thinking about all this, okay? And so he goes, so finally, he goes, oh, there's that guy on the bicycle. I'm like, the guy on the bicycle, what? He goes, yeah, 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 that guy on the bicycle. I talked to him today. I told him that we were having, we are celebrating our 18-year anniversary and for him to come tonight, and he's, he's, he's over there. So we're going to start now. I was like, okay, here we go. All right, so I go in. He goes, you can come in whenever you want. I go, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. I was like, what do you mean? Where am I sitting? He goes, you're sitting in the front, like, right? And you're facing everybody. And there's chairs, these big chairs facing everyone. And so 
I, I, I go, I said, well, let me go out with you. So I went out with him and he sat down and I sat down and then his bishop came. And so it was his bishop, me and him. And I thought about doing like, I feel like an Oreo cookie, but I didn't because I didn't know. I didn't know if that would have been appropriate or like offensive. So I just, I wanted to start with that in my sermon, but I didn't, but that's what I felt like. Anyway, and, uh, and I'm sitting there worshiping and clapping and just trying to do the best I could, you know, as a white pastor could do in an all-black church with a lot more rhythm that God ever gave me, okay? And, um, and so, and he said, and we're going through the service and we're, we're doing everything, and I get filled with this joy and this, like, peace. And I feel like the Holy Spirit says to me, um, preach like this is your last sermon. Preach like this is your last sermon. And I'm thinking, crap, am I going to die on the way home? Am I going to get shot in the church? I'm going to get me martyred. <laughs> what? I was like, this could happen. This could happen based on the neighborhood we're in right now. And so I feel like he says that, right? And I'm thinking, I have a sermon written for pastors and leaders, and I realize I'm preaching to George, the guy on the bicycle, Right? And so I get up there, and I preach my little heart out, and they are going crazy behind me. And I, I don't remember what I said. I have no idea what I said. I used about half of my notes, and I just remember, like, just wanting more than anything for George to hear the gospel, right? That's what I was, like, that's just what I felt like. I was fired up, going for it, and they were amen. I was dancing. I was doing, like, the wave and stuff. They told me... They told me they recorded it. And I was like, well, we just need to bury that, don't we? That doesn't need to hit the airwaves any any place. But um, the end of the service, I finished preaching. They came down and the pastor stood up. And he said, now who wants to come and receive Jesus Christ? George gets up, goes down front. And he says, and I preached, I don't even, I just preached on... Allowing, Jesus wants to rescue you. And the pastor got backed over by a trash truck. And I, I preached about how he was stuck in the car and how he had to wait and Jesus rescued him. And, I, and he said, who wants Jesus to rescue him? And George stands up and comes down to the front. And he goes, Pastor, Antley's going to go pray for him now. And I'm thinking, he's like, here's some oil, get some oil. And I go down and he puts the microphone and we start praying. I said, I said George, tell me what's going on. He says, well... My dad was a pastor of a church, and he died. My mom then took over, and she tried to do it, and she died, and I became dependent on her, and my life is falling apart, and I need Jesus. I need to come back to Jesus. And so we prayed for him. I left that night, and I was more excited and more joyful and more humbled and more convicted about what they found to be important. The whole time I was thinking, there's only one person. They're like, there's one person! And the way we've begun to measure ministry in our church is what happens in our church. The way they measure ministry and the way God measures ministry is who are you reconciling to me? And that night I went home and, uh, and we've been fasting last week. And so I've been fasting and the enemy is just, you know, it's funny when you start fasting for your family. That's what we were fasting for right this week as a church. We just had all this attack. I get home, and Laura and I get into this massive fight. You're right. And it was all my fault. 
and uh, which it, all, it always is my fault. And, uh, and the kids are arguing, whatever, and I, and I, I lay down in bed, and, 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 and I lay down, and the Holy Spirit says, and, and there was all this tension and turmoil, turmoil in our family, and he says, nothing will take this peace and this joy that you have from me. And I just felt the presence of God's Spirit. And God reminding me, Antley, this is why your church was started. This is why your church exists. And this is where we need to grow. We need to grow in reconciliating the world to the Father. There's no greater joy. There's no greater peace. There's no greater mission. There's nothing greater than reconciling God's lost to himself. And it's, it's the two areas we need to grow in in our church. Evangelism and ministry to the poor and hurting. And I was so, it was so life-giving. I can't tell you how exciting and how life-giving it was. And as much as I love you, I will tell you, I prayed more for George this week when I was fasting than I did you. Because he broke my heart. I, I'm like, I want George to come to RCC. It was amazing how the Father just reminded me of what, and the reason I was so filled with joy is because he, it was travail. He was showing me in my heart what his heart breaks for. He was reminding me, like, that's who you were at one time. That's who we all were at one time. We were all George, who was riding by on a bicycle, and the pastor said, wait, there's something going on tonight, and we wandered in to his presence, and we were overwhelmed with his love for us, and we came into the family of God. That's who and why and what God's doing today. Let's stand.